1: Prayer as a church that you would know this is the kind of God that we worship, that we're learning about, that He's worthy of our praise, because He's a God who opens His arms. Maybe for you you're new here, or this is this kind of new, maybe for the first time coming to a Good Friday service, and you're just learning what that's all about, or you've been coming for a while, and this whole idea of this is weird, or maybe that word altar can be a really strange word that we don't use in our culture. And maybe just this song really helps to understand maybe what that means is this sacred space that's also a safe space because of who god is that it's sacred and it's holy but that it's safe because god opens his arms and we remember especially on good friday that he opens his arms as the symbol of what that means on the cross that he's that kind of god who loves us that much that he would do that so in a moment We're gonna do things a little bit differently than we often do on a Sunday, is that we're gonna actually, uh, kind of towards the beginning of this gathering, take communion together. And as we prepare to take communion, it's a reminder uh, on Good Friday of how Jesus gathered with his disciples the night before he suffered on the cross. And he gathered together to take a meal with his disciples. But We were reminded that it wasn't just any meal, as Pastor, uh, Pastor Ron mentioned earlier, earlier it's a Passover meal. that They took Passover as this kind of uh, reminder that they were part of this greater story of what the people of Israel celebrated, that back in their history, God had set them free. That was the great thing that they celebrated as a Passover meal. And so as they gather in this meal, Jesus and the disciples will break bread, not just to remember that God had set them free, but to point to the fact that now he was going to set them free in a deeper way that none of them expected or even understood. That Jesus was now saying that now, as you celebrate this, you will look back and be reminded that God, me as God himself, is actually going to suffer on your behalf to set you free in a deeper way than you could ever imagine. And as he does this, we have this unexpected moment actually in John's Gospel where Jesus and the disciples have just finished taking this meal together, and he does something that nobody expects. He goes around and he begins to wash their feet. And he has this interaction with one of the disciples that uh, was really unexpected, that really captures, I think, the fact that when Jesus does this, we all have a choice to make, whether we'll actually let him wash our feet. And he captures this kind of this interaction that he has with the disciple Peter. And this is what he says. This is how their conversation goes. It says, he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. But Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. As we read these words and as the, the writer John has captured them, it's a reminder for us that we all have a choice whether or not we're going to let Jesus wash our feet or whether, like Peter, we could say no or deny him to say, we don't really need you, Jesus. This Friday, as we prepare to take communion, it's an opportunity for all of us to just consider, where the areas maybe in my life where I'm not letting just Jesus wash my feet? Where are the areas where I'm not living into the freedom that he has for me? Are there things in my life that I have chosen instead as a way to, when I think of this suffering and pain in my life, as a way to sort of self-medicate? Or are there ways that I've chosen to deal with my suffering and my pain that keeps me from leaving, living more into that freedom? Are there ways that I've chosen even to let maybe stubbornness or pride or bitterness get in the way of Jesus washing my feet? As we think of this and as we consider what it means to come to the table, we all have ways and, and things in our lives that we actually long for in place of Jesus, especially when we think of suffering or struggles, that we actually long or, or choose things or see things as being more important or more efficient or more effective that we actually choose instead of Jesus. But at the table, we're reminded that Jesus says, only I can wash your feet as a symbol of the greater freedom that I want to give you, that I want you to learn to live into. I don't know about you, but this week, uh, I thought about the fact, you know, one of the things that Jesus says is at the table, and this symbol of washing our feet, is he's not saying you have to have it all together before you come to the table. He's actually saying the opposite. He's saying, you don't have, to have to come, you don't have to have it together, but you have to accept that I'm the one who can heal you and set you free. And I thought about how much this week we were all reminded as the power went out, as we struggled with different things, how we don't have it together. I was really reminded of that this week, as I thought about power going out and not being able to communicate and how that affected different things, how how have exposed, Areas that I have not let, been living into Jesus' freedom, not let him let, set me free as I thought about how he interacted with my kids or my spouse or different people that exposed. I don't have it all together. But as we come to the table, we're reminded that Jesus asks us, will you let me now wash your feet? Will you let me set these areas of your life free? So in a moment, just to give you some instructions, we're going to have uh, the team. I uh, just lead you to come up and we'll have two different lines to come up to Pastor Dom or to myself uh, to come and take a piece of bread and we have uh, wine or juice if you're more comfortable with that we have gluten-free bread so come up and then you're gonna come sit back down and wait and we'll take that uh, all together Pastor Dom will lead us through the communion and a, a special note too this morning for the older kids you actually have been given a little craft where you can make a cross and just as a, a response for you as well, to, as you're learning who Jesus is and what he's all about and what he's done, as you're slowly learning and making sense of that, part of just responding to that is we're going to ask you to come with your cross and we're going to have a plate on each side. and You can just put the cross on the plate and then go sit back down. Uh, and just for those of you who are just new, just learning about what it means to follow Jesus and maybe you're not ready to just say yes to Jesus in a deeper way, we just encourage you to stay at your seat. We're just really thankful that you're here and that you're here learning with us but just for all of us as you come in a moment i'm going to pray but just come and once you sit back down would you consider where in my life do i need to let jesus wash my feet where do i need to let him set me free and what's at stake if i don't let him do that what's at stake in my relationships or in what's happening in my heart or in who I'm becoming if I don't let him wash this area of my life? If I don't let him continue to set me free, what is at stake? And just as you're reflecting on that, just even imagine just Jesus asking you, will you now let me wash your feet? Trusting in the greater thing that I doing. So I'm going to get you to come up in a moment, but let's pray as we uh, begin to take communion. Jesus, we thank you for this great reminder that the table represents of how you are setting us free because of what you've done on the cross. At the same time, we ask that you would forgive us for the times that we don't accept that or live into that, that we don't let you set us free in different ways as we think of different areas of our lives. So as we come to the table, help us just examine those things. Would you speak to us about the areas that maybe we're keeping things from you? And would you remind us as well that you are trustworthy and that you are safe for us to surrender to you, to let you do a deeper work in us. And so we ask as we come up that you would lead us in this time as only you can and speak to us as only we can. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Come up as you feel it.
2: I think of how special it is for us to be able to celebrate this meal like this and yet how different it is from that first Good Friday with the disciples wondering how is Jesus like retelling the Passover story in a way like we've never heard it before. Is he saying that he's greater than Moses? Exactly what he was saying. Is he saying that he's a God who's going to suffer for us. That's what he was saying. And I think sometimes we can forget that this meal for the disciples was just the beginning of chaos. And we often make it a meal that we take before we get into our cars and just go home and have lunch. And so we wanted to just do this at the beginning of tonight so that we can tell you what comes next, so that we can feel what it would have been like For the disciples to have Jesus wash their feet, break bread, thank God, read what I'm just about to say to you, and then follow him into the next part of the night. If you can take your bread and imagine with me that Jesus, on that night, the Lord Jesus, the night he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said this is my body which is for you do this in remembrance of me let's take the bread together you just close your eyes for a second before we continue I want you to think about your body getting tired it being dark and Jesus asking his disciples to not fall asleep but to pray because things were just getting started
1: is our prayer, as we even think of how uh, scriptures say that we love because he first loved us, that we want to grow into that more and more. As Pastor Dom uh, mentioned earlier, we we began with communion to just help you feel what comes next in the story, and so we have some readers who are going to read the next part in John, and so we just encourage you, we'll have the words up on the screen, but even just over these next couple days, would you even take the time to read this passage, kind of let it sink in, but as they, they read, uh, just even, can leave your eyes open, you can close your eyes, but would you just listen to these words and just let the scripture speak to you, let God speak to you through, through the scripture as they read. Let's
2: read.
3: After saying these things, Jesus crossed the Kindred Valley with his disciples and entered a grove of olive trees. Judas, the betrayer, knew this place because Jesus had often gone there with his disciples. The leading priests and Pharisees had given Judas a contingent of Roman soldiers and temple guards to accompany him. Now with the blazing torches, lanterns, and weapons, they arrived at the olive grove.
4: Jesus fully realized all that was going to happen to him. So he stepped forward to meet them. Who are you looking for? He asked. Jesus, the Nazarene, they replied. I am he, Jesus said. Judas, who who betrayed him, was standing with them. As Jesus said, I am he, they all drew back and fell to the ground. Once more he asked them, who are you looking for? And again they replied, Jesus, the Nazarene.
3: told you that I am he, Jesus said. And since I am the one you want, let these others go. He did this to fulfill his own statement. I did not lose a single one of those you have given me. Then Simon Peter drew his sword and slashed off the right ear of Malchus, the high priest's slave. But Jesus said to Peter, put your swords back in the sheath." shall I not drink from the cup of suffering the Father has given me? So the soldiers, their commanding officers, and the temple guards arrested Jesus and tied him up. First they took him to Annas, since he was the father-in-law of Sapphias, the high priest at the time. Sapphias was the one who had told the other Jewish leaders, it's better that one man should die for the people.
4: Simon Peter followed Jesus, as did another of the disciples. That other disciple was acquainted with the high priest, so he was allowed to enter the high priest's courtyard with Jesus. Peter had to stay outside the gate. Then the disciple, who knew the high priest, spoke to the woman watching at the gate, and she let Peter in. The
3: woman asked Peter, You're not one of that man's disciples, are you? No, he said, I am not.
2: have a seat. You've probably heard, you've probably heard that uh, oftentimes this, uh, this period as we move towards Sunday is called the Passion. How many of you maybe have watched the Passion of the Christ or have heard that phrase? We often think that it means that Jesus is passionate or for many people they, they misunderstand that The passion of the Christ comes from a Latin word meaning passio, which means to suffer with someone. We get our English word compassion from that word. Where we have compassion with someone else means we suffer with them. And I think that we can forget that what happens in this moment, in this evening, before we leave and make our plans, is that we are given a picture of what it looks like to have a God who's entered our world to suffer with us. And to suffer in such a way that we would have a different perspective on our own suffering from now on. We would have a different perspective on death itself because of Jesus and what He came to do. Over the years, I've struggled to kind of think about what it would have been like to be there with the disciples. And I think there would have been yelling and crying and upset and anger, uh, dogs barking and uh, people running around and just the mess of it all. And somehow we found a way to make it all nice and tidy with our nice worship songs. But they go from a meal, Jesus washing their feet to the garden and now they're tired and Peter has a sword so there's blood there and and now Jesus is finally in the hands of the authorities. And if you've never read the Bible, you should know this, that the Romans and the Jews are now going to conspire in such a clever way to crucify Jesus. The Romans were like experts at taking suffering and turning it into entertainment. I want to give you an example of of how it would have looked like if you lived in the ancient world. Have you ever been to like a sporting event? Maybe with a friend or uh, watching a particular hockey team lose, or a soccer game, or maybe with your kids, sports, you go to the event, and have you ever been at that event and at the end of the game, the losing team stays on the field and on the ice? And the people in the crowd get to vote on their cell phones if the team that lost should maybe die. Have you ever been to one of those events? Anyone? No? One? No? Not yet? None of that? Of course we haven't. That'd be ridiculous. Not if you lived in the Bible times. That's why it's always shocking to me when I meet people who want to go back to the Bible or who think we live in the worst times ever. You have no idea what the worst times ever are. The Bible times were worse times where the Romans found a way that when they didn't like someone, they just kept them around and used them in games and events and entertainment. Actually, the Romans were so great at this that when they captured certain people in battle, especially like the rulers, they kept them in prisons, not like today, but they kept them and they waited till there was maybe a play for for the people to come and watch a play. And if you lived in the ancient world, all the plays were done by actors, mostly men who pretended even to be women, And they acted all the parts. But when it came to the point where somebody died, if you just acted like somebody died, it would be boring. So the Romans had this great idea. They're like, why don't we take one of those people that we captured and we'll save them for the parts of the play when somebody dies and then we'll kill someone live. The people will love that. And they did. That's what they did. Have you ever been to a play like that? Of course not. Jesus... Nazareth is in the hands of those kinds of people and we are invited to read and to listen and to follow along to try to understand what it would mean that he would suffer in such a way that we would feel and embrace and accept that his love is restoring the suffering and the brokenness of this world do you believe that do you believe that there's something that jesus does that only he could do that makes the world right that deals with the sin and the brokenness and the anger and the hatred that is all around us only jesus can do this wouldn't it be great if jesus just came and said just be a good person this year that'd be great I still meet people who think Christianity or religion is pretty much about just being a better person than you were last year. Imagine how easy that would have been if Jesus would have just said that to us. Hey, you know, we don't need the cross. I'm not dying for anyone. Forget the suffering part. But, you know, just next year, be a good person. Go get him, gang. That'd be amazing. That's not what happens. We're told that Jesus now is about to carry symbolically and in a very real way the suffering and the sins and all of the things that are in us, He's going to carry them all. And He's going to heal the deepest parts of what it means to be human so that we, each of us, could be free. And tonight, as we move towards Easter celebration, we get a chance to think about that and to receive it ourselves. One of the most profound moments in the story, I want to read it for you before I let you go. It says that the crowds of people, it was a morning, gathered before Pilate's house that morning, and he asked them, which one do you want me to release to you? This is the spectacle of people dying and entertainment and the crowds, and it's it's great. Like, who, who do you want? This was the custom. Who do you want me to release to you? Barabbas or Jesus, who's called the Messiah? Who do you want? Isn't this amazing? This makes like Big Brother and the things we watch on TV so boring. Imagine that you can vote for people to die on the show on TV. This is the Bible. The realness of it all. You imagine that every year, the rulers in Rome at times gave the people a chance to pick one person that they wanted to be, set free. And this year, it falls to Barabbas, And Jesus, maybe you've never read this part of the story. I was talking to my kids about this earlier uh, today, and I was saying to them, you know, the the Easter story is so different and complex depending on who you read. And I said, have you ever heard of a a guy in the Bible called Barabbas? They were like, what? Maybe you've never heard of this part of the story. And I, I think about Barabbas. If you don't know anything about him, the Bible tells us just a few little things about him. He's a murderer. So if you want to hear this in a different way, is do you want the murderer set free or do you want the guy Messiah? Is that it? Yeah, the Messiah guy set free. Which one do you want? I I was preparing and I was praying and I was thinking about, if you're Barabbas, your luck of being set free right now went way down. Like the murderer guy or the Messiah guy? And it's almost like everybody Pilate himself thinks, this is a no-brainer. We're going to go through the things really, really fast, but it's a no-brainer. Everybody's going to say, the Messiah guy. But Barabbas underestimated what is possible when people lie. Barabbas underestimated what is possible when people are sneaky and they lie and they, their sin begins to spill over other people. And what, what if maybe we can lie enough about this guy that the people say, we don't, want the, we don't want the Messiah guy set free, we want the murderer set free. Is that possible? And the chief priests, but the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas. What shall I do then with this Jesus who is called the Messiah, Pilate asked. You could feel like, are you guys kidding me? Did you just say Barabbas? Like, yep. Pilate asked, and they all answered, crucify him. Why? Can you imagine? He's like, really? The murderer guy? The Messiah? Crucify him? Like, why? What crime has he committed, asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. Just to help you tonight, can you just all say crucify him with me? Ready? One, two, three. Just a bit louder. Him. Louder. Him. Imagine if we just kept saying that. And saying that, and I can imagine Barabbas there is thinking, I'm about to be set free, but these people are insane. (laughs) Like, really? I'm being set free? Yes. Because lies and sin and violence and anger and bitterness, when it's left unattended, can do more damage than you can ever imagine. And Jesus is about to do something that makes it possible for each of us to never become these kinds of people. He does something that makes it possible for us to say, I know what it's like to be a liar. I know what it's like to talk about someone and say things that are not true. I know what it's like to be like those people, but I don't use words like crucify him. I use nice words that are acceptable in our culture, but I have the same things in my heart that if they are not healed by Jesus, will destroy everyone around me. This Good Friday, we get a chance to read this story and realize that Jesus now is in the hands of these leaders who are about to physically tear Him to shreds. As we leave tonight, I I wanted us to feel the weight of those two words, crucify Him. And as you drive home, and as you go to sleep, and as you wake up tomorrow morning, and as you plan what's coming next, and as I, I pray, and as you make your way back here on Sunday morning for one of our two gatherings, that you would hear the room say, crucify him, crucify him. Not the murderer, not the one who did things that were unacceptable, but Jesus, the one who is the Messiah. You and I would become those people We are in a sense deep in our deepest hearts left unattended to our own ways and the way sin works where we use lies and everything at our disposal to get our way. And Jesus says, I made it possible for you to not be controlled by sin any longer. This Good Friday, would you get honest about that? Would you maybe get honest to the point that you would admit that you too likely would have been fine with them crucifying Jesus? Well, the Romans, you know, they always do this stuff. Who knows? That means you would get honest about the sin and the pain that you have caused others. And that pain and disobedience in some ways has violated not only our relationships with one another, but Jesus has talked and taught about this that has violated the greatest relationship between us and God. And there's a kind of healing that's about to happen. You know that Christians have been fighting for thousands of years to try to explain what that healing looks like? That God's grace and God's love finds us in our brokenness and draws us to the Father, and yet it transforms us. And and we hope you continue to learn about that with us because it's a mystery in some ways. But it's simple. It begins with us saying, Jesus, whatever was happening on that cross, the healing that you paid for by dying, being raised again, was for me. That's simple. And maybe for you, over the next few days, you will get to the place where you're beginning to understand that. Our prayer is that you would do that because those of us who've said yes to Jesus at some point all have to do that. There's a person in the Bible, and I'm going to wrap up with this, and he's a person who's told us some of the most profound things about Jesus. But he would have never followed Jesus when he was alive. Actually, he hated so much about the things that Jesus taught about that he started to kill people who followed Jesus. And now to this day, some of the writings that we have are written by him, and his name is Paul. One day as he's thinking about how he could best express to us us, and anybody who reads his writings, what it meant for him to finally surrender to Jesus and to finally admit that in his own heart and in his own mind, he needed to repent and, in a sense, let God heal him from the inside out. This is a language that he uses in his letter, something you'd never expect. You go to the last slide, it says this. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live now but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Can you imagine? That he's like, there's no better word to express what has to happen when you understand that Jesus paid it all. You have to see your life being crucified with Christ on the cross. Now, we're not crucified like Christ. We're crucified with Christ. They're different. Only Jesus can die on the cross and pay for the penalty of our sins. But we then are invited to be crucified with Him so that we no longer see our lives primarily about ourselves. These are the writings of Paul to us. In a minute, I'm going to pray, and as you leave, you'll say hi to some people, and my hope is that you leave, and you'll feel just the weight of it all, the weight that needs to be resolved somehow, like, is Jesus Jesus going to speak to us? Is he going to be set free? What's going to happen? And if you've never read your Bible, you've never read this part of the story, to just maybe read how the followers of Jesus are following along, trying to see what's next, what's next, what's next. You know what's next for each of us? To commit again to inviting Jesus to do something so deep in us that we would say, I want this again. I want to recommit in a new way to have my life fully crucified with Christ. Fully. Those whose lives are crucified with Christ are the ones that get to taste of the power of the resurrection, which Christ will reveal soon. Do you want that? Those who are crucified with Christ are those who experience this peace that the world cannot offer. But are you ready to be crucified with Christ? Let's stand. few years before Jesus was born there was a Roman governor who wanted to prove how powerful he was so he went into a village and he crucified 2,000 Jewish people we have records of this do any of you know any of their names? we don't but we know that Romans loved to crucify people who thought they were heroes. But 2,000 years ago, one was crucified, and after a few days, everything changed. And we are about to pray in his name. Let's pray. Father, as we uh, let the weight the realities of this story grip us again. We ask that you would help us just like your earliest followers that you would remind us of a tired body overwhelmed disoriented, confused with questions and wondering what does it mean to be crucified with you again. I pray for each of us as we leave tonight that you would remind us of those two words, crucify Him. What's at stake when sin is not dealt with in our lives? That you would do something so deep in us that we would long with all of our hearts to want to worship and sing and celebrate what is about to happen and to think about what it means to live a life that is crucified to you so that others would also come and surrender their lives to you. Would you be with us now as we go? And would you call us to this deeper place of repentance so that we would sense the power of the resurrection alive in us again? We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Hey, we'll see you on Sunday morning. God bless.